You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We start with a message we've heard over and over again. It is never okay to leave a child in a car unattended. And yet this afternoon, four young children were found left alone in a downtown parkade in Vancouver. Ramina Dea joins us with the details. Ramina, you'd think the parent, in this case especially, would know better. I know, Chris, it's an actual message to all parents tonight. You know, I was at the courthouse. I had just parked underground. It was just before 2 p.m. I exited my vehicle, and a few moments later, I heard the muffled sound of a baby crying. So I followed the sound to a parked SUV. I peered in the windows, and that's when I saw the children inside. There were four young kids inside, including a baby who looked less than six months old. All the kids appeared to be under seven years old. There was no adult. The door was open. I was just about to call 911 when an undercover officer approached. He took over. He was in the area on an unrelated matter. Now, the father of the children is an RCMP officer. He told me his babysitter had canceled last minute. He said it was imperative that he did not miss work. He said the kids were in the vehicle for about 30 minutes and he was checking on them. So what is the law when it comes to leaving your kids in a car unattended? We spoke to a lawyer about it this afternoon. Take a listen. There's no law that says how old the child has to be to be left alone. There's a guideline of 10 years old, but there's no specific law, so you can't be charged with an offense. And police officers should remember that by virtue of their role as police officers and the trust and authority that they enjoy from the public, they need to be mindful of, of guidelines and abide by them. Now, it's generally the police, Chris, who are warning the public not to leave kids in a car unattended, even for a minute. It's just too dangerous. So a good message for all parents tonight. As far as the RCMP is concerned, uh, the boss in this case, in this incident, the RCMP only telling us that they are aware of the incident and they are investigating. No other details, Chris. And as usual, you were in the right place at the right time. Thanks very much, Ramina. Now to some disturbing allegations out of Coquitlam involving a child victim of alleged voyeurism. The accused is a 69-year-old man. John Waugh is live with more on where this happened and how it went down. John. Well, the mother tells us her 7-year-old daughter was trying on a pair of rollerblades at this value village when a man got between the two of them, and that's when she says she noticed a cell phone camera. Coquitlam RCMP say the alleged incident happened just after 4 o'clock Tuesday afternoon at this value village on United Boulevard. According to the mother, they were inside the store when she allegedly saw a man trying to film up her daughter's skirt. Bystanders did jump in to keep the suspect from fleeing and called 911. The mother, who did not want to be identified to protect her daughter, posted these pictures of the suspect on social media. Immediately noticed and I started to scream at him you know, what are you doing, and swearing at him and, and uh, threatening him. And he said to me, no, I was, I was just checking out the prices of these rollerblades. And I said, it's not possible. Your camera is recording the opposite direction of her skirt. When we got there, a 69-year-old Surrey man was arrested. He was subsequently released until the investigation can be completed. 
These sorts of voyeurism investigations can be quite complicated. A lot of elements need to be proven, and we're going to do a thorough job and get to the bottom of this. Yeah, John, some of the parents shared a lot of the details on social media, but RCMP obviously have some concerns about that. Yeah, that's right. RCMPs do have concerns about the post that was originally shared by the mother and spread across social media. They say there might be information in that post that isn't correct, that isn't correct, and they don't want people to share it because it might compromise their investigation. Chris? All right, John, thank you very much. And Surrey RCMP also releasing a suspect sketch of a man who approached a child outside a school last Monday. RCMP say the man drove up next to the child who was waiting in front of Frost Road Elementary on 162nd Street. That person tried to convince the student to get into his vehicle. The suspect described as a South Asian male, 40 or younger, with a graying trimmed beard. He was wearing a blue turban with orange underneath. The vehicle, a gray sedan with tinted windows and a messy interior. If you have any information, you're being asked to call RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Run, hide, and fight. That's what Vancouver police want you to do if confronted with what they call an active deadly threat situation. Excuse me, sir. Check your bag here, please. The advice is all part of a new public education campaign, including a reenactment sure video aimed at training people on how to respond in these kinds of dangerous situations. It will take several minutes for police and first responders to arrive, so the public needs to know what to do. So for the last year and a half or so, we've been looking at it closely, and over that time, we built the video. You're not naturally trained to deal with these types of situations, so having that knowledge of three easy things to remember, I think, boils it down in a tense situation. You're not thinking about 10 different things, three things to remember, and that's what you focus on. You can watch the full video from Vancouver Police, which takes you through a number of different scenarios on our website. That's globalnews.ca slash BC. BC Hydro is presenting a renewed proposal to build a five-story underground substation in Vancouver's West End including a plan to possibly build a new school, replacing the one that would have to be shut down. Grace Key has more on the proposal and the controversy. A popular spot for Vancouver West End residents, Nelson Park is home to a dog park, community garden and Lloyd Roberts Annex. BC Hydro wants to build an underground substation at the school and money from the long-term lease at fair market price would go towards the full cost of a new elementary school at Coal Harbour. The general rules for the capital plan is that the ministry expects school districts to pay up to 50%. I'm not comfortable with the ministry's expectation that the entire cost would come from a possible long-term lease that is still a proposal. Much is riding on school trustees to approve the substation. A letter to the school board from the Ministry of Education states the new school will be fully funded from an expected long-term lease at Lord Roberts Annex. No provincial capital is allocated to this project. If the substation doesn't go through, then you don't get the school. Is that what your understanding is? That seems to be what the letter says, and that's why we're having the discussions with the ministry. Vancouver West End Coal Harbour NDP MLA Spencer Chandra Herbert has been advocating for new schools in his riding. My understanding is, based on my conversation with the Minister of Education, is they're not telling our community, you either take the hydro money or you'll never see that school built. No, they're saying if the case is strong to get that school built, it will get built. 
Once the new school is built, the proposal is for the annex students to return to a new school, but some question if that will happen. But I've certainly heard a lot of people are concerned about living next to that substation and what it will do to this community to have five, eight or ten years of, of construction going on and no solid commitment that the school would ever be rebuilt on this site. The ongoing saga over rezoning part of the Steveston waterfront appears to finally be over. Soon residents will walk past bustling shops instead of buildings that have been sitting empty for years. Nadia Stewart has more on how the area is set to change and why reaction is mixed. Nadia. Chris, people I spoke with say it's about time a decision was made on the future of this site, even though some are not at all pleased with the outcome. So there should be floats going right across here full of boats right now. It is not the waterfront experience Harold Steves and others envisioned. But the Richmond City Councillor feels the developer, Ani, left him and others no choice but to give up on their dream. This is a river and we've got now a whole kilometre of waterfront with no boats. The city and developers have been battling over the future of the site for the last 20 years. Back then, this was the original plan. And we thought, okay, this development will blend in really well. We'll have a Granville Island-type development on shore, and we'll have a marina out in front. But over time, this Steveston property has changed hands. From the BC Packers to the Ani Group, seven of the nine councillors voted in favour of the rezoning that will see a 32-unit Airbnb-style hotel built here. One of the thorny issues was over how much Ani would pay to rezone the property from mixed marine use to commercial. For those who live in the area, there is a sense of relief, even if they don't agree with the final result. Oni have had numerous uh, open houses and things here, which I don't think has really brought them any great love, if you know what I mean. But what are you going to do about it? You just can't protest forever. Richmond's mayor admits the outcome isn't perfect, but rather it's a good compromise. We started off with the amenity contribution being in the range of two and a half million, and it's now five and a half million, which our expert tells us is the 100% of the lift from the rezoning. Brody says the money will go towards a new Steveston community centre. Steve says this whole experience has been eye-opening. We had a developer that literally held a gun, gun to our heads and said it's just going to sit here forever until, until we get our way. And that's what happened. Councillor Steve says he's learned a valuable lesson throughout all of this. When it comes to proposals, what you see isn't always what you get. Back to you. All right, Nadia, thank you. More pipeline controversy tonight, but this plan involves a 13-kilometer route under part of Richmond, and it would be used to bring jet fuel to the airport. Ted Chernecki explains why supporters say it's needed and has the concerns of critics as well. Look to the north end of Vancouver International and you'll see a growing tank farm. The green units, the older ones, the white tanks built in recent years to quadruple the amount that can be stored at the airport. Every day there's a steady stream of tanker trucks hauling jet fuel here, mostly from Washington State refineries. Our city council has uh, expressed many times its displeasure uh, formally. Uh, to the idea that we should have the jet fuel pipeline. Richmond Council is now finally having to grant, or not, permits to allow a 13-kilometer pipeline that was approved by Environment Canada five years ago amid many a protest. Shipments of various 
YVR says the existing jet fuel delivery system is at maximum capacity and the volume of jet fuel produced by refineries in Vancouver does not meet the demand. A pipeline is the only way to go, and YVR wants to go from the south arm of the Fraser, where storage tanks are already under construction. Why are we taking it to the diametrically opposite corner of Richmond rather than and, and having all the risk of having that, that the tankers coming up the river regularly uh, rather than just bringing it right to the airport. The north arm of the Fraser apparently isn't wide enough for the airline consortium because it wants to bring much larger barges. Richmond is now worried the airlines will buy their jet fuel from wherever it's cheapest, even from Asia or the Middle East, and ship it back to BC. I don't know how the whole chain is going to operate, but it just seems to me ironic when a great deal of what we're going to be exporting could be refined here in Canada and come straight to the airport. Until if more likely when that pipeline gets built, expect a lot of truck traffic to continue. The airlines say once they get the necessary permits from Richmond, it'll take about three years to finish the $150 million project. Ted Chernecki, Global News. When it comes to fuel for your cars, Metro Vancouver is losing several more gas stations. Four SO stations are now up for sale. Collier's Canada marketing them as high-profile redevelopment opportunities. Three of the stations are in Vancouver, one on North Road in Burnaby. No asking price has been listed. And the rising cost of fuel has BC Ferries considering cancelling rebates to ferry users, an idea contrary to the province's promise to freeze rates. And while the proposal is on hold for the time being, Kylie Stanton has a look at how much it could cost taxpayers and passengers. Prices at the pump are a little painful right now. 70 bucks for this little tiny car. So just imagine what it costs to run this. Right now, it's about $8 million a year. We have to take action. The initial solution, to cancel the fuel rebate. BC Ferries currently offers a 1.9% rebate on northern routes and 2.9% on major and minor ones. Eliminating this would increase costs for ferry users by 50 cents per passenger and $1.70 per vehicle. Each month, the rebates are costing the company between you know anywhere from 700000 to $1.7 million, depending on how much traffic is flowing that month. But the Minister of Transportation has managed to delay the move, at least for now. In a letter to the corporation, Claire Trevenna says, As Minister, I am personally committed to delivering on our government's promise to freeze fares. As I expressed to you, I believe this action is contrary to that. I was obviously very concerned about it. We are committed to affordability and um, it was just two months that we were able to reduce fares and freeze fares on certain routes uh, and we didn't want to see people facing an increase. To help pay for those commitments, the government has upped its subsidy to BC Ferries by $59 million over the next two years. In her letter, Trevenna also indicated she would be willing to negotiate more funding to keep these rebates in place. She stopped short of saying just how much. The passengers here say every dollar counts. It'd be good to get a break every now and then. And as far as I'm concerned, it's p- part of the road system. You know, any, anything does help. The ministry has scheduled a meeting with BC Ferries to discuss the issue at the end of the week. But the more these numbers climb, the more difficult it becomes to find a solution. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well, here's another reason to ditch fossil fuel-powered transportation. As part of the lead-up to Bike to Work Week, the Rush Hour Challenge pits cyclists against transit riders and drivers 
to see who can get from various locations around Metro Vancouver to the corner of Granville and Georgia in downtown Vancouver the fastest. And a trend has emerged. I honestly thought just because of the route that we have between our office and here that I would, I would win. And uh, I just didn't. There was an accident, two things of construction, fire engine. And then when I got to where I thought I would park, my well-laid plans were thwarted by parking not being available. A lot of people assume that driving in a car is the fastest way to get downtown, when in fact, in the uh, nine years that we've been holding the rush hour challenge, the person on bike has won about 70, 75% of the time. Bike to work week? Next week, you can test it out for yourself. Dozens of homeowners on the Sunshine Coast are frustrated and angry tonight. They're being told to tear out their docks, despite the fact some have been there for decades. Aaron MacArthur explains why. For dozens of people in Gunboat Bay, this is their driveway. Homes deeded water access only are at risk of losing their floating docks. It's uncertain for us and it's unsettling for us but I think more importantly it's unsettling to the community. The Seashelt First Nation and the provincial government have come to an agreement to protect culturally sensitive sites in Pender Harbor and improve the environment. A majority of the docks will be able to stay but as many as 40 in the most sensitive areas the options have become pretty thin. I think when you start to talk about affecting people's property values because of policies imposed by the government, uh, people get their backs up. Now, nobody from the provincial government nor the Seashelt First Nation responded to our request for an interview today. But one of the concerns from the residents here in Pender Harbour is that this all seems to have been done in secret. They describe it as government-to-government negotiations, and uh, they've... Uh, They've set a lot of reasons for having uh, zoning and, and for having a um, ban on docks, but none of them wash with us. Consultation came in the form of a report written by former Environment Minister Barry Penner. Residents say his 13 recommendations were all but ignored by the provincial government. We think every dock should be considered on a case-by-case basis, just like it is in the rest of the harbour and just like it is in the rest of the province. There is no timeline for the dock's removal, but with so many other environmental issues affecting Pender Harbour, residents wonder if there aren't more important things to tackle first. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver's cruise ship industry marking a milestone today, the 25 millionth passenger to pass through our port. On her way to Alaska, as it turns out, that honor goes to Cheryl Spangler, from Illinois. She and her family received a collection of gifts and got an upgrade to their suite on the ship. My mom thought I won $25 million. So, <laughs> so we had to break I told the news. her I wasn't going to be that, I wouldn't have been that calm. So I had to re say this 25 millionth passenger. So, yeah. So it was exciting. It's hard to wrap your head around, it's a big number. Bon voyage, Cheryl and family. Now, a North Vancouver condo owner is celebrating a victory tonight now that he's allowed to keep his dog. Kristen Robinson explains why he fought his strata and what it took to win. Let's go this way. Every walk out of their North Vancouver condo is like a victory lap for Parham Esfahani and his golden retriever. Uh, I was very, very happy. Um, I knew that this was kind of unprecedented or near unprecedented. When Esfahani bought at Mira on the park, he admits he thought medium dogs were allowed. 
Shortly after his puppy moved in in October of 2016, the Strata told him Zoe would soon outgrow their pet bylaw, which defines a small dog as one that can comfortably be picked up and carried. Uh, the bylaw was faulty. They have specifically uh, defined size as the comfortability of picking up a dog, which is not actually the true definition of size. Facing fines of $200 a week if Zoe didn't go, Esfahani held his weight. Ready? and challenged the bylaw, providing video evidence he could easily pick up Zoe and even walk with her. The Strata argued websites, including the American Kennel Club, list the Golden Retriever as a large dog. The Civil Resolution Tribunal ultimately sided with Esfahani, ruling the bylaw was unenforceable for vagueness. There is no objective criteria to determine if a dog is or is not in compliance. Felt, felt amazing. I, I felt vindicated. Strata Corporation bylaws are laws, and uh, you know they should be drafted in a clear way. Strata lawyer Alex Chang, who is not involved in this case, says bylaws need to be bulletproof to avoid condo dog fights. It's no longer a particularly expensive enterprise to challenge your Strata Corporation's bylaws if you think that they're being applied unreasonably, or in, as in this case, they're ambiguous. Esfahani's Strata Council not commenting. If it decides to refit the pet bylaw, Zoe will be grandfathered in. A big win for this small dog. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Incredible video of first responders rushing to a private jet from Texas that crashed in Honduras after skidding off the runway. Despite the plane almost splitting in two, all six people on board survived. Some able to walk away from the plane. At least two have serious injuries. No word yet on the cause. And caught on surveillance video in China, a sinkhole opens up at a construction site. The sinkhole swallowed three cars. Luckily, there were no casualties. State media has or says the crews had been upgrading drainage pipes and uh, there had been a heavy rainfall just before the road collapsed. A big push tonight in the movement to ban plastic straws after nearly 500 million people signed an online petition. McDonald's shareholders are now preparing to vote on whether or not to do away with the straws at the fast food chain's 37,000 plus locations worldwide. This could be the last straw for the Golden Arches. McDonald's shareholders set to vote tomorrow on a proposal to study the risks of using plastic straws. The pressure comes from environmental activists at Some of Us, which has gathered about half a million signatures on a petition calling for McDonald's to stop using plastic straws, which pollute the ocean. Americans use an estimated 500 million drinking straws daily. That adds up to more than 46,000 school buses full of straws per year. New York City Council is also considering a proposal that would fine restaurants for giving them out. Plastic straws are already banned in Seattle, Fort Myers, and on the oceanfront in Miami Beach. We don't really need plastic straws. I think they're kind of out of date. We can just sip out of cups. The city of Malibu voted to stop restaurants from handing them out along with plastic utensils and stirs starting on June 1st. It's polluting all of our oceans. It's affecting the people who go swim. McDonald's is urging shareholders to vote against the study, saying it's unnecessary and could hurt its existing plan for all packaging to come from recycled materials by 2025. But across the pond in the U.K., McDonald's is already testing new paper straws and moving them behind the counter. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles.
An amazing story out of Edmonton today where a 10-year-old girl is credited with saving her mother's life by lifting an ATV off of her. Emily Olson was quadding with her mother Kimberly on the long weekend when the vehicle overturned, pinning Kimberly underneath. Emily somehow managed to lift the 270-kilogram quad enough for her mother to wiggle out, and then she ran for help. I just kind of held her hand and told her I loved her, and um, just felt really bad that that was going to be the last sort of like memory that she could have. When I saw her lips turn blue, I turned around and I tried that way, and I was I was so thankful that I got it up. She's like my little angel. She's my little superstar. I don't know. Like I, if she wasn't there, I would I would have never. I wouldn't be here, that's for sure. I did myself. Kimberly suffered eight broken ribs, a broken femur, and a cracked sternum. But if Emily hadn't been able to move the ATV, she probably would not have survived. In Health Matters tonight, police are warning boaters about carbon monoxide poisoning after a frightening close call over the long weekend involving two children. A family was on a 27-foot boat up an Indian arm when two girls, aged 7 and 10, went below deck while the adults stayed above board. When their mother went below to check on them, they were groggy and unresponsive. They were quickly brought up into the fresh air and later rushed to hospital. And again, a reminder for people, you know, install a carbon monoxide detector in your, in your cabin. Uh, keep those windows open and just be aware of how this gas is in a boat. Uh, even brand new boats will have these detectors because it, it's a gas that just seeps, seeps through uh, these walls. Thankfully, the girls are expected to make a full recovery. Remember that salt and peppa are coming to this year's PE as part of its 2018 summer concerts lineup announced today. Once again, heavy on nostalgia. Also on the bill, perennial favorites, Boys to Men, historically one of the fair's most popular shows, and the legendary Cindy Lauper. Other acts include Air Supply, Cool in the Gang, Chicago, Burton Cummings, and dust off those YMCA moves. The village people are coming too. Well, the latest on the ongoing battle to save Vancouver's heritage is a house built in the early 1900s by a pioneer from the Japanese community. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the house brings back memories of the city's history, both positive and shameful. Obscured by trees in the front and hidden on either side by modern-day condos, it's only from the alley that you can get a good look at the 106-year-old Takahara Yada apartments. It's an incredible building. My grandpa built it. Fred Yada is the grandson of Jenya Yada, who built the wooden structure in 1912 in the Fairview Slopes area of Vancouver. It had seven suites, one for the family. The rest he rented to Japanese-Canadian sawmill workers. There was quite a Japanese community that lived on the Fairview Slopes area, and a lot of them did work in the sawmills along Falls Creek. The Takahara Yada tenements, um, it's important because it's um, the last remaining exemplar of a worker's tenement in Fairview Slopes. So important, according to Heritage Vancouver, that they put it on this year's list of 10 most endangered sites. We put it on the list because we want people to know about its significance, that, that this is actually a very important part of um, Japanese-Canadian history. 
a history that includes the dark days of World War II, when families like the Yaddas were rounded up and sent off to internment camps, even though the vast majority were Canadian citizens. What became of the apartment back in 1942? It was confiscated, like other properties, and given very little compensation. That it is on Heritage Vancouver's endangered list is because it is now for sale. The asking price, nearly $4 million. And while the building, still a seven-suite rental property, is listed as being of primary significance in Vancouver's Heritage Registry, there are concerns the new owner may not appreciate and preserve its history. It's one of a kind and um, it's very special in that way. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Goodness me, Haley! Oh my! A runaway horse, yeah. heartstopper, and the remarkable yeah, move sort of to stop it. That's Coming up right after the weather, we'll check in with Christy now. And a gorgeous evening out there, Christy. Yes, it certainly is, Chris. But I wanted to show you first this amazing video I found on Twitter. Now they use green dye to show a rip current. By the way, it's also known as an undertow or a riptide, but the proper name is actually rip current. Uh, so it can form anywhere on a beach where waves are breaking at any time. It's a narrow channel, 15 to 30 meters wide, and it moves very quickly away from the beach, sometimes at speeds at 88, sorry, 8 kilometers an hour, faster than an Olympic swimmer. And it can be very scary to be caught up in a rip current. So here's what you need to know. First, stay calm. It won't pull you under. It will only pull you away from the water. The next thing you need to know is to swim parallel to the shore. You will end up swimming out of the rip and be able to make your way to shore. Hopefully that's helpful information as you head into the summer months. I know we're still a month away, but you know, swimming is happening certainly on the beaches now meanwhile back home we are dealing with showers in through the southern interior they start to develop through the afternoon hours also the Similkameen area now uh, these were expected to be a little bit further west and through the Fraser Valley but that instability shifted into these areas some areas have seen pockets of rainfall between 15 to 25 millimeters in an hour thankfully the majority of it is in areas where we only have high stream flow advisories but it is starting to touch up into the Shushwap region. Uh, uh, by the way, a lot of that is actually ground clutter. Uh, it's just touching up into the Vernon area. Nonetheless, it's on top of record heat. Eight records broken today. You can see the top one trail at 32 degrees, but some areas like Lytton hit 35 degrees today. Now, that instability and the rain will ease off overnight, but we're going to see another hot one tomorrow. So we'll see instability again, especially through those eastern sections and along the border. Here's your forecast. Mostly dry, just a few isolated showers or thunderstorms. Again, pockets of showers expected along the border and in the eastern sections. We'll see more cloud cover across the south coast tomorrow, so temperatures will be a little cooler, but cooler means closer to near average. 21 degrees over the next couple of days is still pretty splendid, and I'll leave you with this stunning shot from Texada Island. Thank you to Roger. It was taken this morning during sunrise. Wow, that is a beautiful shot. Thanks, Christy, and thank you, Roger. Okay, at a horse race in Wales, one of the thoroughbreds threw its rider and bolted. Good thing TV reporter Haley Moore was there. Goodness me, Haley! Oh my... She stepped out right in front of the horse, and despite being knocked to the ground, she held on to the reins and settled the animal down. The ever-so-British race commentators offering their high praise. She knows where she is. That horse is traveling. Get. Oh, but how she hangs on, that's a brilliant hold. She might 
It's my broken rear piece, Bob. So <laughs> hate it when that happens, but great, great wow. work by Haley. She grew up around horses, so she knew exactly what she was doing. Oh, okay. We talked about the dream coming true for Alexander Ovechkin yesterday. We'll get to that a little bit later. Football to start. Well, we've got to start with the Lions. Yeah. They're camping, and yeah. they're camping with Squire of all people. It's fantastic. BC Lions are a focused, hungry bunch at training camp, missing the playoffs for the first time in 21 years. It'll do it to a team and an organization. I'll tell you, big things were expected out of the Lions' offense last season. It never really seemed to hit its stride, though. Leo's with one of the stronger receiving cores. Brian Burnham, one of John Jennings' most reliable targets, and he's standing by with our very own Squire. Okay, Brian, a lot of guys around here are saying new attitude, new feeling with this football team. What do they mean by that? I mean, it's, it's when you bring in a new regime, you bring in new coaching staff, they're going to come into camp and it's going to be compete. You know, it's not, nobody's comfortable here. There's competition at every position, and uh, we got to turn things around. When you have a season like we did last year, you know, I mean, things have to change. So it starts with attitude, and, uh, you know, that's what a, uh, the GM, Ed Hervey, is, is really preaching attitude, uh, being out here for a reason, and uh, caring for the guys next to you, and I think that's our biggest thing. But if you look at the roster, this team seems to have a roster that can win, that can vastly improve on last season. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at the guys that we've brought in. Uh, I can't name them all, but, I mean, guys like Odell Willis, um, Gary Peters. Uh, I mean, these are guys that have been playing all-star football for a long time and to have him on our team uh gabe napton i mean the defense is just going to be yeah it's, it's going to be scary <laughs> and then the offense bringing in ricky collins uh left tackle now figueroa uh, and oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so i mean it's, it's a different look it's a different feel uh new offensive coordinator i mean throwing in some some new spins to the offense so you know we're really looking forward to it okay last question out of left field worst thing and best thing about training camp worst thing about training camp is what we just did <laughs> <laughs> best thing or is there a best thing the best thing about training camp is being in Kamloops I mean you look around and see all the mountains and the views I mean it's it's an amazing place so I love coming good luck this season all right I appreciate it thank, thank you for showing up Brian Burnham back to you CFL guys are the best interview. They really are. Steve Stamkos, Alexander Ovechkin. Who'd you rather have? I'll tell you right now, Caps are glad they have Ovechkin. Opening minute of the game, Tom Wilson does Chris Kunitz. They turn it back the other way and tee it up for who? O.V. 62 seconds in, his 12th of the playoffs, 4th of the series, and it's 1-0 Capitals. Second period. They're going to get another. It comes off of a simple dumping. Dan Girardi, it's in his chest. He can't handle it. And Andre Burakovsky buries it. He has just scored his second of the period. They are late. And it is 3-0. Washington against Tampa Bay. Giants making it official today. Barkley Parnetta, just the third general manager in the history of the Vancouver Giants. He returns to his roots. He scouted for the Giants the first three years. They're in the Western Hockey League. I think that's sort of the trend, the way that things are going in our league. I think that people with a scouting background are getting these positions, and I think that the people that are giving them to them 
want them to continue with what their strengths are. And certainly the strength of mine was scouting, and, and I continued, I'm going to continue to do as much of that as possible. Yeah, it's really important that um, there isn't a learning curve here. It's somebody that understands what this league is all about. And, um, and, it's, and it is dramatically different than the, the pro levels. And um, it's something that takes years to understand and comprehend a lot of the things that go into it. And uh, there isn't, I can't think of anybody that's had the depth of experience that Barkley Pernata has had in, in, in Western Hockey League. Good BC boy, too. It's uh, Deuces Wild for the Vancouver Whitecaps these days. Caps coming off three straight 2-2 draws. They sit fifth in the West but are trending the wrong way in the standings. Nobody's played more games than Vancouver. Leaves a lot of breathing room for sides like the Galaxy, Minnesota, and Real Salt Lake to reel in Vancouver. All three are just three points back of the Caps for that coveted playoff spot. Vancouver hosting New England on Saturday. Here's Carl Robinson's thoughts on the Caps' last three matches. I think if you look at um, the San Jose game, the Houston game was first. I think it was a it was a point gained because we scored in the last minute, but obviously two two points lost because we were at home and we want to try and win every game. Um, you know, the San Jose game I think was a I would say an anomaly, but it happened four days earlier against Houston. Um, you know, we managed to get a point out of that game and probably dropped two points uh, but Dallas on Saturday I think we gained a point because we were down and out with a little bit so we're, we're probably a, a few points behind where I'd like to be and the Whitecaps tied at 2-2 we will see what they do on Saturday Stanley Cup begins on Monday looks like it's going to be Washington taking on the biggest right now one more period to go it sure does yeah. all right and you were you were coy Parnetta you played with him he's Barkley, old Parnetta, myself years. junior hockey teammates many many years ago we were a couple of plugs. Not that many years ago. Coming up on ET Canada, Ryan Reynolds' next action blockbuster directed by Michael Bay, plus Kathy Griffin on defying Donald Trump and returning to comedy. All of that's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. Okay, Cheryl, thanks very much. Well, the talk in the halls of the legislature in Victoria these days isn't just serious topics like pipelines and court battles. As Richard Zussman reports, a mystery artist is getting a lot of attention with his or her new Twitter account. Nine seats. That's what the NDP needs to pick up tonight. He is one of the most recognizable faces in BC politics. But you've never seen Keith Baldry quite like this. For weeks, caricatures of BC Legislative Press Gallery members and politicians have been popping up on a new Twitter page, BC Poly Portraits. But what has everyone talking is the big mystery of who could be the character drawing the caricatures, like these of Agriculture Minister Lana Popham and BC Liberal MLA John Martin. It's got to be somebody who knows us quite well. I hope it, whoever it is gets to keep it going for as long as possible. <laughs> It's hard to find someone at the legislature not talking about the mystery. Leader third party. Even distracting Green Party leader Andrew Weaver in the legislative chambers. I was just, I wasn't standing. I was just looking at the BC Portraits Twitter feed. Quite remarkable, Honourable Speaker. Uh, Why the account was started is also a mystery, but has gotten the attention of Premier John Horgan. I wish them all the best to try and make me look better if you could. That's my, that's my only criticism. Not all MLAs are happy with their pictures. I have pursed lips. I'm always smiling. Where's my smile? But as if the mysterious artist was listening, two new images appeared. First, with curly hair, and then of Michelle Stilwell's signature smile. All right, so there's somebody drawing portraits of all the politicians. And the, the drawer has standards, though, and won't back down, even with some ministerial pressures. I have hair. 
That shows me no hair. I have hair. I know I have hair. As for how long all of this will go on, the hope is things aren't drawing to a conclusion until all the MLAs have been sketched. <laughs> I think it's great. You know, you have to laugh at politicians sometimes. I think certainly some, some British Columbians laugh at us a lot. There are some pictures that most people say both look good and accurate, including that of CKNW reporter Lisa Yuzda. But I'm biased. She's my wife. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Should have said it was a beautiful portrait of my Absolutely. wife. Beautiful portrait. I didn't see one of Richard in there, no, though. I know there is one, it too. Slipped, but he, he just didn't make it in, he huh? Didn't make it into the final cut. Maybe that's on the cutting room floor. Uh, very cool, though. I wonder who it is. Uh, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So those showers in through the interior will die down through the evening hours for Metro Vancouver. More cloud tomorrow and temperatures will cool off a little bit. But look at that. It's still three degrees above average and will hold that right through the mm. weekend. So incredible warmth right across the province and not much of a change in sight. It sure is. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, looks like Ovi's going to the Stanley Cup for the first. Is it one the first time ever for him? Yeah, yeah. One more period to go. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Oh, I guess a lot can change. We'll He'll have the highlights a little bit later. Thanks for watching. Have a great night.